0: Hi, this is uh, Gavin Giovannoni. I'm doing this MSLP podcast to try and explain to you some new thinking behind the mode of action of autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplant, or HSCT, and to discuss some good news around uh, CAR T cells uh, to treat multiple sclerosis. What prompted what prompted me to do this is that last week I attended the Ames charity uh, HACT meeting in Sheffield. Ames is a uh, charity named after autoimmunity in MS and they held a uh, international meeting where all the big guns uh, offering HACT to people with multiple sclerosis, particularly from the private sector, uh, came to the meeting. Um, one of the problems I had with the meeting, there were no naysayers there, so everybody was very pro uh, AHACT, and if you said anything against that, you kind of got your head taken off. Uh, <laughs> there was no plying in the so-called BBC uh, fair balance rules, uh, and I think this is wrong because you want the naysayers to be there, because at the end of the day, it's not about them and us, it's about trying to convert the naysayers to your side of the argument. So until we have them in the same room to discuss the pros and cons, uh, and particularly the con, uh, particularly the pros of having HSCT and MS, we, we're not going to win this battle. And there was clearly an anti-neurology sentiment at the meeting. Um, not surprisingly, I think a lot of people with multiple sclerosis who are keen to have HSCT feel that the biggest hurdle is the neurology community preventing them from accessing the treatment. I don't think this is necessarily correct. Um, You know, in our centre, for example, we do refer patients to HACT. However, there are very strict guidelines dictating who can have HACT to treat MS, based on uh, risk profiling, have they failed another therapy, uh, and whether or not we think they'll benefit from the treatment. Uh, I think the scientific messages that were presented at the meeting haven't really changed. Uh, The bottom line is HSCT is probably our most effective treatment for MS, but we're not 100% sure, which is why we're doing the STAR-MS trial. But it comes with risks, uh, and particularly a relatively high mortality. The best units about 0.3%, and in the, the less good units, maybe 2% mortality and that's one in 50 chance of dying from the procedure and then there's the big risk of infertility uh, infections delayed secondary malignancies and there is quite a large list of adverse events that need to be weighed up against the, you know against the benefits what was not openly discussed but was hinted at was there is a clear failure rate of hsct uh, and it doesn't work for everyone, you know. From the published uh, data, there are many people who still have ongoing smouldering disease. What I call is they still get worse despite uh, not having any relapses of focal MRI activity after HSCT. Um, and I've uh, I've put in uh, a figure into the newsletter from Professor Paula Marra's uh, meta-analysis that was published in 2017, just showing you that. Progression-free survival, you know, after 10 years is, uh, you know, uh, around about 30%. In other words, 70% of people have noticed worsening disability. And most of this will be uh, due to smoldering disease. I think it's particularly uh, prominent in the older population and people who've got so-called progressive disease, which is one of the reasons why we are more reluctant to, to a transplant or uh, do HACT in people with uh, progressive disease. I think one of the things that also came up is that you know most of the experts at, at this meeting are still wedded to the dogma that MS is an autoimmune disease and that HSCT is working by resetting the immune system either by eliminating the cells that cause autoimmunity uh, or resetting the immune regulatory networks or possibly both um, now there was a discussion around car t-cells uh, i like to think of these as the new kids on the block they are really cool technology um, what you basically do is you take t-cells uh, from the peripheral blood of a person with ms take them into the laboratory and you engineer them so that they uh, are all reactive against a particular protein and then they go back into the body and they kill any cell that expresses that protein And the ones that are really going to go forward in MS are the ones that target um, a molecule called CD19 on on B cells, so the CAR T cells then go in and kill all the B cells. Um, I'm convinced that uh, a CD19-targeted CAR T cell actually may cure MS, and the reason why I'm so impressed by this is the incredibly stunning results uh, seen in lupus patients. Now, SLE is another autoimmune disease that's strongly linked to EBV, and there's been a a publication of a small number of very resistant lupus cases who had CD19-targeted CAR T cells, and they looked like they're in long-term remission. And these people had bad lupus nephritis involvement of the kidney, and after they had this procedure and killed their B cells, you know, they lost their proteinuria, they lost all their autoantibodies, and they started feeling better, everything improved, and they uh, still, to the best of my knowledge, in, in remission. And this is quite a remarkable result. And because of this, now there's quite a few. CAR T-cell companies moving rapidly forward uh, with clinical trials in patients with uh, treatment-resistant lupus. And it's not only lupus; there are other conditions of the skin, uh, muscle, uh, and you name it. Going forward in CAR T-cells, and I think we need to go forward in uh, uh, in MS. At the meeting in Sheffield, there was a talk on CAR T-cells uh, and its future promise as an MS treatment, and I refer you to the program. Uh, But one international HSCT expert basically dismissed CAR T-cells as a treatment for MS based on the dogma that MS is a T-cell mediated autoimmune disease. And that by just purging B-cells with CAR T-cells would be like using an anti-CD20 therapy and it wouldn't stop smoldering MS. So his opinion was we shouldn't go ahead with it. It's it's going to basically be a waste of time, money, resources, because it's not going to work. And I think he was implying that we know that anti-CD20 therapy is not the Uh, panacea for multiple sclerosis. It does stop relapses and MRI activity, but a significant proportion of people continue to get worse due to smoldering MS. The difference between CAR T-cells and anti-CD20 therapy is CAR T-cells at least get into the central nervous system. And uh, we know that because in uh, lymphomas that are due to EBV involving the central nervous system, CAR T cells are an effective therapy for that. They really go into the central nervous system, find the tumor cells, kill them, and reduce the EBV viral loads. So we're pretty confident that in MS, these uh, cells will get into a compartment where anti-CD20 therapy doesn't get in, and we hope they will scrub the brain clean of the B-cells and stop the immunoglobulin production that occurs in the central nervous system. I think this is a big difference between those two treatments, Um, and we know now that the B-cells and the uh, immunoglobulin produced in the brain and spinal cord are probably one of the mediators driving smoldering MS. So this strategy of using CAR T-cells is different to anti-CD20 therapy. I think what was also ignored was the potential causal role of EBV uh, in driving MS disease activity. Uh, If EBV is the driver, then targeting B cells with CD19-targeted CAR T cells would be a really good idea because EBV remains latent and lives inside B cells. Killing all the B cells may purge the body of Epstein-Barr virus. And just as an example, if we think uh, MS is driven by a particular strain or mutant version of EBV, then going in with a B-cell therapy that is able to purge not just the peripheral compartment, the central nervous system and other deep tissue compartments, maybe the deep cervical lymph nodes, for example, we may be able to clear the body of EBV. So I'm actually, um, you know, very um, supportive, and I have been for the last two years running around the world trying to convince uh, companies that have CAR T-cell technology to try and go forward in MS. And the good news is that several companies have shown interest and we are almost certainly going to start a CD19-targeted CAR T-cell trial. It'll be a safety study, probably starting in the new year to see if we can uh, treat multiple sclerosis. I would be interested uh, um, to know if you'd be in- would you be interested in participating in these trials uh, or do you consider them to risk The reason why I ask that is a lot of my colleagues think I'm crazy t- trying to suggest this treatment strategy. Uh, and a lot of them have said to me it's far too risky to take CAR T cells into MS because of the potential side effects. One of the issues that came up is that HACT uh, actually, uh, acti- actually reactivates Epstein-Barr virus. Uh, and the question was, this: is this a problem? Um, and it's well known now when you actually take people with multiple sclerosis and you give them HACT and when you ablate their immune systems, the majority of them will have EBV reactivation. Um, it's about 70 plus percent of them. Uh, and the reactivation sometimes is so bad that they have to be treated with rituximab uh, to, 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 kill the B, to kill the EBV. And a lot of them also develop what they call an EBV-associated M-protein or paraproteinemia. This is a monoclonal uh, gammopathy. One clone of cells produces a single immunoglobulin, which is detected in the blood. This is not a malignant clone necessarily, because once your immune system or their immune systems recover, this clone gets killed and the paraprotein disappears. But I was told at the meeting that, this extremely high level of EBV reactivation and the development of the so-called paraprotonemia is not seen in other patient groups undergoing uh, HSCT, including uh, lymphoma, lymphoma patients and other autoimmune diseases. So it looks like it's a specific issue related to MS. And this may be another clue that people with multiple sclerosis really have difficulty uh, controlling the virus. And we know this from other studies. People with multiple sclerosis are much more likely to shed EBV in their saliva. They're much more likely to develop these things called lymphoblastoid cell lines. When you take their B cells from the peripheral blood and put it into culture, they proliferate and survive on their own. And we also know the immune system has a signature suggesting that the EBV virus is more active. There's much higher levels of antibody, antibody uh, against many, many more proteins, not only Um, the what's so-called immunodominant epitopes but you know minor epitopes in in other words these epitopes spread into other regions involving latent analytic proteins and the same thing happens on the t-cell compartment when you look at the t-cell receptor usage there's a lovely paper that came out uh, last year on this uh, just showing you that the t-cell receptor diversity is very broad and deep uh, and so what the immunology is telling us is that the, the immune system is having to fight incredibly hard to control the virus. And to do this, it has to actually use everything it can to fight the virus. <clears throat> now, I like to think of this as a very wide and deep B and T cell repertoire to control the virus. Um, This problem with controlling the virus um, is also supported by T-cell studies. And this is actually Michael Pender's group in Brisbane showed many years ago that people with multiple sclerosis have a reduced T-cell response to EBV. They basically have exhausted T-cells. These T-cells just don't have the ability to fight This is not unique to Epstein-Barr virus. This kind of occurs with most common, uh, a lot of common viruses that cause chronic infection. Hepatitis B happens with HIV. It's even happened in COVID-19. A lot of long COVID patients or patients with severe COVID, uh, you know, get exhausted T cell responses. And this is the hypothesis that, you know, Michael Pender has worked on for years and why he developed a treatment where they were taking uh, lymphocytes from the peripheral blood of people, stimulating and expanding them in the laboratory and then injecting them back in to try and control the virus. Um, Sadly, this hypothesis uh, has recently been called into question because of the negative results of the so-called EMBOLD TARA Phase 2 trial of of um, uh, autologous, I mean, allogeneic uh, uh, EBV-reactive cytotoxic T lymphocytes. I've actually uh, done an MS Selfie um, newsletter on this, and I think we should dismiss and ignore these uh, trial results because of bad science, and I explained that in the in the newsletter, why I think the trial was negative, not because of the hypothesis, but because of the potential for the trial to have failed um, because of bad science. In other words, people with multiple sclerosis may may have rejected the cells because they were allergenic, they were coming from somebody else, and there was no space created in the peripheral blood for these cells, so they might not have survived very long. Now what's also quite interesting um, is that when you actually look at the immune system of people with multiple sclerosis, particularly the T cells, you find it's quite restricted. In other words, they have a reduced variety of T cells in their peripheral blood, and we call this a restricted or reduced T cell repertoire. And this is something we see in immune senescence. As your immune system ages, your immune system, the amount of T cells gets reduced. And what's left behind are mainly fighting actually chronic viral infections like CMV, cytomegalovirus, Epstein-Barr virus, uh, chickenpox varicella virus. In other words, you're using your immune system to control these latent viruses. And what's really interesting is that It was almost 20 years ago, uh, uh, Professor Palomarara from Imperial, when he was at the NIH, showed that when you look at HSCT patients before and after, uh, after HSCT, once you've uh, uh, ablated the immune systems and allowed it to reboot, the repertoire rejuvenates, it becomes more useful and widens, so you get much more variety of of, uh, T-cells. And so this is what we would call an immune immune rejuvenation therapy. And it's just been shown that um, this widening is not just a a general phenomenon, but also the T-cells against EBV widen and also deepen. And so what's probably happening, and this is how I think HCCT may be working, is when you deplete and ablate the immune system, you kill off all those exhausted T-cells that are meant to be fighting EBV, the EBV then reactivates, uh, and what happens is you get live or uh, infectious virus produced, so you go from latent to lytic, and that's what you detect in the peripheral blood or in the saliva. Your immune system, which is recovering, sees this, and you make new T cells. <clears throat> and these T cells are young and fresh, <clears throat> and they are very reactive against EBV, and they control the virus. They suppress the virus. Uh, and so this is what is meant by the, the, the term um you know, rejuvenation therapy in, in a sense. And so I've actually uh, referred to the Australian paper uh, that shows the diversification and the expansion of EBV reactive cytotoxic T lymphocytes post-HACT. So this is a really interesting observation. And we actually hypothesized uh, this based on other data that this was occurring. And we are actually planning to explore this phenomenon in our STAR-MS trial. Uh, so this is uh, a really important uh, uh, additional bit of information around the impact of HECT uh, on EBV. And so I suspect that uh, HECT may be acting as an immunotherapy, you know, the depletion you know, and rejuvenation of the T-cell response, with EBV reactivating, uh, the EBV reactivation is acting like a, a vaccine, a booster. So HACT may simply be in an EBV immunotherapy, and I suspect all immune risk constitution therapies uh, are working in a similar way. And I raise the point rather than using HACT, which I call an immunological sledgehammer, we may be able to use a very simple therapeutic vaccine uh, to rejuvenate T cells and widen this uh, T cell repertoire without having to expose people to the risk of HACT. And uh, it may interest you that at least one vaccine company, and I suspect there'll be more. Uh, or in the process of developing a therapeutic EB vaccine to treat MS, using this as an analogy. Um, another simple strategy may be simply to use antivirals. You know, we've, you know, EBV is a well-known virus, and almost certainly there are drugs that will be able to target the virus um, therapeutically. So I'm, edging, I'm actually hedging my bets. You know, I'm urging the MS community to try all strategies, including HSCT and CAR T-cell therapy, uh, also you know, EBV immunotherapeutic vaccines and antivirals. And at the same time, I think we should be actively exploring the impact of our existing effective disease-modifying therapies on EBV biology, because I actually made the point that almost all of them impact on EBV biology in some way, and I suspect that's how they're working. Now, this is a complicated newsletter, which is why I've uh, put it under the MS Research banner, um, please let me know if you need uh, any further help in understanding what I've written. Uh, and if not, I will uh, try another tactic. Um, uh, i just like to conclude by saying that HSCT is not the panacea. There's no way we're going to be able to uh, treat everybody with MS using HSCT. We simply don't have the resources and it's far too risky at a population level. Similarly, CART. CD19 targeted CAR T cells, which is an experiment that will happen, is also uh, not going to be the panacea. It may be a very important experiment, uh, particularly around the EBV hypothesis, and it may be very effective and it may cure people of MS. But again, just the logistics of delivering it and the cost of, it of CAR T cell therapy will not make it a therapy for everybody with MS, but at least it will lead us towards developing more selective therapies, targeting EBV possibly in the future. So I think both HACT and CAR T-cells are really important experiments, and we really need to understand how they work as a treatment for MS. And I don't buy into the, uh, in the T-cell Uh, mediated autoimmune disease hypothesis. I think there's too many flaws and holes in the hypothesis. Um, uh, And I'm completely behind the EBV hypothesis. In other words, EBV is the cause of MS, and I suspect latent lytic cycling of the virus, based on the immunological data, is driving MS disease activity. What we don't know is where the EBV is active. You know, is it in the brain and spinal cord? Is it in the salivary glands? Is it in the deep... To cervical lymph nodes or where uh, we don't think it's in the blood but at any rate there's a compelling uh, case for us to develop EBV therapies uh, and to test them in people with multiple sclerosis anyway i've um, if, if you look at the newsletter i've given you the three papers i've referred to in the um, uh, newsletter and if you have any comments please leave comments and if you find this uh, uh, podcast and newsletter helpful please forward it to other people and if you can afford to, please become a pain subscriber. Um, the more pain subscribers I have, the more resources I have to develop the, uh, um, the curated uh, MS Selfie microsite. Thank you.